You know, guys, I do a show about monsters, but mostly imaginary monsters. <laughs> okay, okay, I see that the Bigfoot fans are sharpening their pitchforks. No, no, guys, what I mean is, haven't you ever stopped to think that the real world is actually filled with monsters all around us? No, not the cryptids. These monsters we actually live with, we are surrounded by them and they can kill us at any moment. No, I'm not talking about the humans. I'm talking about horses. Oh yeah, horses can be fucking monsters. They eat our chickens. They kill our dogs. And if you piss them off, they will bite your face off and trample your guts. And sometimes they even kill people with their... PP. But that's a topic for the end of the episode. Yes, guys, we're talking about horses today. So I brought in a guest who is not a podcaster and she is not a cryptid artist. No, she is just a horse girl. She owns a horse. So I decided, hey, let's ruin horses for horse girl. And by the end of the episode, I end up actually agreeing with her a lot. Because at the end of the day, the real monsters are always us, but just don't piss the horses off, cause if you do, they will come after you and they, without any mercy, will eat your chickens. <laughs> Guys, uh, <laughs> man, I always start the episode with, so guys, today with me is blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so today with me is somebody who I am going to refer to as Horse Girl Cat. Yes, Horse Girl Cat. Okay, cool. I'm not just Horse Girl like you warned me. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> actually, I never asked you, do you even refer to yourself as a Horse Girl? Do you even think of yourself as <sighs> such? No, because every time I think horse girl, I think of like that annoying little girl in primary school that was obsessed with horses and she just doesn't shut up about it. And I was actually never like that. Like I got into horses when I was a little bit older, so not as cringy, but still kind of cringy. Oh, so you're not the girl that was, you know, fantasizing about receiving a pony for a birthday gift. No, actually. And then no. starving it to death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, luckily here we have people that feed the ponies for you. So yeah, but yeah no, yeah. I never had that like unicorn dream when I was a kid. I didn't have like unicorn pictures plastered all over my bedroom. Oh man! So yesterday's guest is that type of person. Oh yeah, she's into unicorns. Or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's cool though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like I went into research about unicorns for that episode. You'll hear yeah. it when it comes out. Yeah, and we go into unicorns like only briefly, and I say so you just have toys and that's the extent of it. And she's like, yeah, I, I, I'm not obsessed with unicorns. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Right at the start, we're setting a boundary. You are not a unicorn girl. <laughs> <laughs> 
no, but I, I like, so I've always been fascinated with like the real unicorns and how they're kind of assholes and not like the super fairy tale-ish unicorn thing. I've always understood that unicorns were actually like super dangerous creatures. Oh yeah. They have like black and white morality. So like, yeah, if you do anything that is bad, like you don't pay your taxes, it's going to fucking murder you. <laughs> All right. I didn't hear that. But uh, yeah, I just heard that they like to destroy people because they're angry all the time. And I like that version of unicorns a lot more than fancy rainbow (laughs) unicorns. Well, the listeners will find out with today's episode that real horses are not much better. No, that. no. I mean, sometimes they're quite pleasant and other times they're just an asshole and oh, I've had yeah. those experiences. Oh yeah. So also we should probably explain to the listeners how we even stumbled upon each other. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you want to explain that? <laughs> yeah. So once upon a time when I was doing Darwin's Deviations, I had a fake Facebook profile, which I was using to essentially troll people because I had the great idea of doing troll marketing and I stumbled upon... <laughs> cat here who was in this kind of community of shit posting yes yeah and there were a lot of satanists and a lot of you know death metal guys <laughs> it was a lot of death metal guys well just black metal in general guys what a weird niche for you to like try to troll into but you know like i just kept adding and adding these people with satanic imagery and black <laughs> metal stuff and they just you know accepted my invitations yeah and then it just grew like i i really had a lot of people in my friend group <laughs> On that yeah. profile. And yeah. we stood out like a sore thumb among Pretty these much, yeah. Guys. <laughs> it's like when it comes to the music, like I'm into it, but like the whole general scene, I'm just like, you wouldn't expect it of me for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, one day I was actually banned by Facebook because I was in some kind of comment thread with Australians who are, you know, very cool, chill guys, and they were using the C word a lot. Mm-hmm. And then I referred to one of them as a C word. Oh, yeah, I immediately got banned by Facebook. Were they using the C word in general or were they like referring it? They were referring to each other as the C word, but because oh, they're but... Australians, they can oh, do that. Oh, I see. I see. Oh, right, yeah. right, right. Because that's just like a normal word to them. Oh, yeah. Like right. immediately when I was banned. So on the Facebook side of things, this one Australian chick was posting uh, stories and whatnot. Like, how dare you ban Darwin from the platform? <laughs> You guys are C-word. And then you reached out to me on Instagram. You're the only one who reached out to me. Like, oh. are you okay? What happened? And I'm like, dude, oh, yeah, you're a true friend. Oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> It's like, where'd you go, man? You're fun. <laughs> yeah. So I made just another profile and uh, continued on with my shenanigans. Yes. And then I didn't hear from you for a while. And then you were oh, like, yeah. hey, it's me. And I was like, I remember you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was on hiatus. And yeah. um, so the topic we're going to cover today is something that has been on my mind for maybe two years now since two I was made years. aware of it. Yeah. All right. I wanted to cover this topic for a long time. I even hinted at it on Darwin's Deviations quite a few times. I made a meme of horses being assholes that eat chickens (laughs) and dogs. Um. (laughs) So I was thinking, like, who should I have as a guest? Like, it would be best to have somebody who is into horses, maybe somebody who owns a horse. And then I remember, well, I I know somebody. (laughs) It is I. Yeah. It is I, horse, horse girl cat. And uh, like, what was your reaction when I asked you, like, do you want to talk about meat eating horses? 
uh, well, like I was excited right away. I'm like, yep, I this is a podcast I'd like to be on. That's fun. I've always like wanted to be on a podcast, but like I'm like I'm not that interesting. And then you asked me, I was like, oh yeah, hell yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. So listeners, Cat uh, here is not a podcaster. She is not in the podcasting community. Not at all. She's just a normal girl in Canada who owns her horse. <laughs> yep, pretty much. I'm not yeah. that special, but here I am. Here I am. And she's a huge fan of my prior podcast. So I think it's a cool dynamic like of having a fan as a guest, but also a fan who can contribute a lot to the topic. I will try my best. Also, not just your previous podcast. I do like Tracing Owls too. Oh, yeah. I want to be very specific about that. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know like when you found out about this whole phenomenon of meat eating horses? Um, So have you ever seen the video of the one horse? It looks like he's about to play with a bunch of baby chicks. And then all of a sudden he just gobbles it up. Yes. I think that's the (laughs) first time I started realizing that like, yeah, horses can do that. But I wasn't shocked or anything. It was just like, yeah, that makes sense. Why? not a little crunchy street were you already among horses before you saw that video oh yeah yeah like i started riding like more seriously when i was 12 oh yeah so and at one point what point did you buy your own horse i bought him for almost five years ago Mm. i was just very adamant about like wanting to have all the experience and also the cash like there was no way I was going to buy a horse in my teenage years. My parents aren't going to buy me a horse. That's really expensive. So I had to wait. Yeah, you're not a princess. No, exactly. Like I always understood like how expensive they were. And I had like, I taught students that would also be like, oh, I want a horse. And I'm like, yeah, you know, they're really expensive. Your mom and dad are not going to buy that for you right now. <laughs> Man, so y- you are also from Canada. Uh, that brings me to my childhood. Like mm-hmm. Canadians are, are pretty different than Americans. Like Americans have this whole, you know, facade fake persona whatnot Mm -hmm. but like i miss that with canadians that they're just you know completely honest yeah and we just like to be goofy all the time or at least i do anyways yeah and it's like honest goofiness it's not like uh minnesotans which are you know notorious for being you know goofy and smiley but they'll stab you in the back Oh, I didn't know that about Minnesotans. I want to visit Minnesota. I think they refer to that as the Minnesotan smile or something. Oh, wow. That's spooky now. (laughs) I'm never going to look at Minnesota the same way ever again. All Minnesotans will now just unsubscribe from me. Oh, no. Stay. Stick around. You know, uh, Fargo, the movie, and uh, as well as the TV show. Yeah, Yeah. that's essentially Minnesotans. Yeah, I know. And it's amazing. Like, I love the lingo. I like the way they speak. Like, I love everything about it. I want to go there. probably not much super interesting there but i just want to go to like meet the people so uh that video that you mentioned i am aware of that video Mm -hmm. of the chickens even Mm -hmm. if you search up uh, meat eating horses you will find that video very easily because it is you know a viral thing that was the shocking one that did it in for horses the one that i saw the one that exposed me to this whole thing was on reddit and i think it was the subreddit uh, nature is metal oh (laughs) oh yeah it is a subreddit where they post like very very graphic animal videos of fucked up shit happening yeah because and there was this video of a horse eating a dog wow oh yeah look that up right now i don't know if it's still up there but i think i saw like a dog i've never heard of that one i think i saw a video so like a dog running towards a horse and the horse just gobbling it up horse eats dog were you able to find it i mean there's a few of them i don't think it's gonna be this one though ah. it's like he's gonna bite him anyways i do believe you that's just wild like i wouldn't think of a dog maybe just like stomp on the dog and that's it but oh yeah stomp 
jumping is a huge uh, thing with horses. Which makes sense. I mean, that's how they just like destroy their enemies. Mm. But to like want to. <laughs> <laughs> By fingering them to death because they have one finger. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it this one? This one is just titled Horse Eats Dog. Oh, man. Okay, guys. So fact checking, I guess. I did try to find these Reddit threads on the internet after doing this recording, and it seems that some of the threads are still up. But what I saw was a video of a horse killing a dog, not necessarily eating it, though it killed it with its teeth. It was thrashing it around in its mouth. Now, the Reddit threads are still up there, but the videos were removed from YouTube because YouTube does not like promoting animal abuse, though it still keeps the videos of horses eating fucking baby chicks. But if it's a dog, no, that is too graphic. But yeah, guys, if you want, just search the internet. You can find remnants of this. I can't find the videos. There are some GIFs around, I guess. I mixed everything up. It was not necessarily a horse eating a dog, but it was thrashing it around in its mouth and fucking killing it. And just so I may be correct at the end of the day, there are pictures of a fucking donkey holding a dead fox in its mouth. And it probably ate it and was not recorded by camera because I say so. But if this was too dark for you, hey, let's go to a happy place with this advertisement. Greetings, starseeds. It is I, the all-knowing alien, channeling this message for you. Our oracle deck lands. Kickstarter. 5-1-2022. Join us today at Celestial Alien Oracle Instagram. Oh, yeah, it's nuzzling it too hard. Like, I would know right away, like, nope, something bad's gonna happen. Horse nuzzle is you that hard? Like, no way. It's gonna do Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. You, you know horses enough that you can see uh, from their micro expressions on their face what's Absolutely. gonna happen. Yeah, like, that's super important when you are dealing with horses. And that's like, I've gotten more interested in that over the years just because my horse has a, a back issue where I need, you can still ride him, he's fine, but you have to be super careful. But I essentially gave him a lot of time off just to strengthen his back. And in that time off, I just really focused on equine behavior and how mm -hmm. I can better communicate with him. And just like equine behavior in general, I started just like observing the horses in the field and really trying to understand their little cues in the body language, because that's how you end up learning how to communicate with horses better. And then you can work with them a lot better. And then you gain their respect a little bit easier. You can't baby a horse the same way you would like baby a human. Like it's a totally different thing. Just like any animals, you need yeah. to understand like how they express themselves in their body and vocally if they they do that and then you understand to work with them better and you create essentially a safer environment that way yeah you create this bond and yeah unify your your two beings into one like that reminds me of the motif of the centaur from greek mythology yeah. How ancient Greeks portrayed the centaur. They were like wild, horny men who were always drunk and stuff like that. But if you go into it, it is, you know, the symbol of the unification of man and horse. Yeah. All in one. I actually don't know a lot about centaurs. They kind of creep me out. 
<laughs> How so? <laughs> As, well, I don't know. They're they're half human, half horse. Am I getting centaur properly? Yeah. I mean, I'd be more creeped out uh, at their origin. Yeah. Ooh. What's their origin? Oh, God. Their origin is that a group of guys had sex with a group of mares. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> We're we're gonna go into that later we, on we by sure the end are. of the episode. <laughs> we sure are. <laughs> I have mentally prepared myself for that. Oh, oh yeah, I, I needed to warn you. <laughs> See, I like centaurs even less now that I know that. But yeah, they always creep me out. Just like half animal, half human things always freak me out. There used to be a show on TV where it was like a bunch of dogs, but they had human hands, and it would freak the shit out of me. <laughs> Yeah, like I remember this being on TV when I was really little and it scared the shit out of me. It was like the dog's head, but like a human body and it had the human hands and it would move and everything. And it just like, nope, I don't like and, that. Uh, yeah, just for the listeners, like most of my listeners are American. I grew up yeah. in Canada. Cat is also approximately the same age as me and we grew up with the same TV and stuff. I remember in Canada, like television was really, really freaky and fucked up in the early 2000s. <laughs> It was great, except for that show. <laughs> I remember like on Comedy Central, there was something called Puppets Who Kill. <sighs> I don't remember watching that one, but it was I feel murderous like I know mannequins it. and stuff like that. <laughs> See, I'm okay with that. It's not half human, half animal. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. And like, I don't think anybody else remembers that show, but I just remember being super freaked out by it and I'm still freaked out by it. Oh yeah. There's a lot of, you know, the, that Canadian television from the early 2000s that has faded away into obscurity, but fucked mm -hmm. us up. Yeah. Definitely. You remember Angela Anaconda. Oh, I love that show so much. Ah. <laughs> my name is Angela. Hey, hello. Welcome to my very own show. Do you remember the Mega Babies? Um, do I? So they, they were three. Three babies, it was a cartoon, three babies with superpowers to vomit, to uh, poop, and to pee and stuff like that. I'm trying to look it up. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that show. That was a great show. Oh, wow. Oh, that's amazing. It's no wonder that we ended up the way we are now. Oh, man. Thank you for bringing that up. I loved that show and I totally forgot about it. Oh, so man. Cute. <laughs> So um, once we decided to create this episode about murderous meat-eating horses, whatnot, I, you know, searched the internet and the first thing I find is a book. The only book, too. Oh, yeah. The only book written on this whole thing. And it is, a, you know, a miraculous piece of research on essentially horses eating stuff that they should not eat. Mm -hmm. So I told Kat about this. How, how far have you read the book? I, I think I got to page 89. I was skimming through it this morning. <laughs> I'm bad with book reports. Yeah, I'm bad. Like, <laughs> listeners, we've been planning this for like three weeks to a month now. And yeah. we've been constantly just rescheduling and I'm like, okay, I didn't have time to read the book fully. Let's yeah. do this later. And now, like before recording, I just finished the book and my eyes are, are bleeding. I'm, I'm impressed by that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a very short book, like on Amazon, it, really it has... <laughs> 150 pages. Yeah. <laughs> I'm reading it on my phone, which makes it more difficult. And on my phone, it's 325 pages. Oh, man. <laughs> it's a lot of flipping. So the title of the book is Deadly Equines, The Shocking True Story of Meat Eating and Murderous Horses. <sighs> yeah. And uh, the writer is, I had to look up how this is pronounced. It is pronounced uh, Kuhula, Kuhula, ah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I don't even want to attempt it. Well, okay, it is pronounced Cuchulain O'Reilly, and Cuchulain is a hero and a demigod from Irish folklore. So this guy actually has a very epic name, and it's no wonder that he went into mythology a lot in this book. Is it even his real name, though? I think it is. That's a pretty cool name to name your child. Oh, yeah. Yes. And so this guy, the writer, he is from the Long Riders Guild Academic Foundation, who are the world's first global hippological study. So essentially a society that does historical research on horses. And I've never, ever heard of them, ever. <laughs> <laughs> They're very small niche. <laughs> the way the book is written, it is kind of a bit pretentious, but it, it's a very good book. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard to get into it at first, by, but by the end, I told you now before recording, it is a very good book and brings up a lot of good points. Yeah, I, I will finish it eventually. So Kukulen here, it says on this website, like his description, who he is, an equestrian explorer, fellow of the Royal Geographical Society and the Explorers Club, one of the founders of the Long Riders Guild, director of the LGRAF, publisher of the LGR Press, and author of Kyber Knights, that's some book that he wrote, but he actually wrote many more books. He wrote a whole en equestrian encyclopedia as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How he went on to write this book about murderous horses is because he was doing research for the Equestrian Encyclopedia mm -hmm. and stumbled upon these historical reports of horses either being fed meat by humans or killing and eating other animals. And this society, I don't know if this society or some kind of horse magazine in the early 2000s started receiving letters and emails of people asking, like, I saw my horse eat a chicken like do you have any reports of this why is this happening and then they didn't know like how to explain this behavior to people and then this guy decided to write a whole book on it mm -hmm. and it's an amazing book like on just a very very specific topic that nobody ever thinks about no like being in the horse world i can like guarantee we don't really talk about like meat eating horses oh yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, the thing is, there have been historical accounts of horses being fed meat or eating other animals and even killing humans. And this, you know, is not only from a more recent history, like written history. There are accounts of this, like if you analyze mythologies, especially Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. So the book starts with two famous meat-eating horses, or I should say five, <laughs> because because right, the yeah. first case is the mares of Diomedes. And these were four mares that were owned by Diomedes. And Diomedes was the son of Ares, the god of war, and some other woman who he totally consensually had sex with, like all Greek gods. Of course, yes. <laughs> They all followed good rules. He was the ruler of some region in Greece that I cannot remember now. That's the problem with this book. Like it is full of names. It is full of these geographical locations and mm -hmm. dates. It's a historical book. Yeah. But whoever edited the book did not do a good job of it. No, we've we've agreed on that. Like it's it's <laughs> just jumping from one account to another account, and there is no context provided of any yeah. of these people, and you just go with the flow. I just. Focused on the horses. I don't care about the people. It's like a PowerPoint presentation, but book form, really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like uh, m most of the things that were cited were either Wikipedia or other articles on the internet. Oh, God. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, very scientific. The book is good when when this guy goes into writing from his own heart. You know mm-hmm. that that's near the end, like when he just drops this bullshit of just citing historical stuff. Yeah, it's like, and then it begins with like a lot of myths, and that's not really you can't really prove that. Yeah, and the thing with myths, like uh, the mirrors of Diomedes. So yeah. Diomedes was this ruler, warlord, whatever guy, and he had uh, four mares who you, who he used to carry his chariot, but he started giving them human meat. And over time, they just stopped eating plant food altogether and just wanted to eat meat. This meat made them insane and they started breathing fire and became very, you know, murderous and vicious. So this warlord guy just kept feeding his enemies to his mares. So Hercules, everybody knows of Hercules. He was tasked with his eighth labor to kidnap the mares of Diomedes, but he was not made aware that they were (laughs) man-eating fire-breathing horses. They don't always tell you that. They just want you to get the job done. Figure it out yourself, Hercules. No, I I don't know how the legend goes because I I don't... The problem with Greek mythology is that it is always just centered on the hero. And I am interested in monsters. So, like, if I want to research the Chimera, it will mostly be the story of the guy who killed the Chimera. I can't remember now. It is maybe Bellerophon or somebody. But there is not much info on the Chimera. And even the info that we have, it, it is mostly, like, who the mother of Chimera was. I think it was Medusa or something. Oh, yeah. They don't treat the monsters as individuals, you know? They don't Mm -hmm. build up the lore. The monster is just a tool for the progression of the character arc of the hero. Yeah, which sucks. I want to hear about the nasty details. Misunderstood creatures, you know? I want to hear more about the mares of Diomedes, but, like, there's not much, you know? They have their names, which make them, like, totally cool, and most of it is about Hercules and Diomedes, and Hercules beats Diomedes and throws him to the mares, and they eat him up. Yep. And after eating Diomedes, they stop eating meat altogether. <laughs> yeah, they're probably like, we don't want meat anymore. We eat grass, you idiot. Yeah, yeah. It's more like... <laughs> Maybe the motif there is that he was the abuser and once they, you know, ate their abuser, they were free from the spell of this yeah. ravenous, bloodthirsty rage or whatnot. Yeah, you know, there's also <laughs> just like a pretty accepted, uh, how do I say this? Mares in general are usually pretty moody. So there's like a little bit of truth to that story. But all the mares that mm. I've dealt with were very sweet. So it's really just you need somebody who's very patient. Now it's probably Hercules. He's probably just nice to them. And he was like, we're going to stop making you eat meat and they were like all right we'll stop our marish bitchy attitude <laughs> well it's funny that you should say that because one of the mares gave birth to another famous horse and that horse being the most famous horse in all of history do you know his name <laughs> bucephalus was it that one yes bucephalus yeah! <laughs> who was the horse of Alexander the Great. Yes, that guy. So the story that everybody knows is how Alexander the Great uh, tamed Bucephalus because Bucephalus was afraid of his own shadow. So he (laughs) just gently nudged the horse uh, against the sun in an angle where he doesn't see his shadow and then hopped up on the horse. Which, funnily enough, that's not like, that's not far-fetched either. Like, horses can be scared of a shadow sometimes. So, I really like that story because there's like a little bit of truth to that. Like, yeah, I could see that happening. No, now I imagine like, do horses have sleep paralysis and do they see shadow (sighs) horses? 
Oh, you know what? They do dream. Like I've seen horses just passed out and it looks like they think they're still racing and they're just going yeah. and going. So they definitely do dream. It's really cute when you catch them too. So uh, as for Bucephalus, like it is said that he was birthed by one of the mares of Diomedes. This was mostly erased from history because we use Greek mythology now in children's books and, you know, heroes and shit like that. But based on the guy, the philosopher, the historian who originally wrote down the biography of Alexander the Great, he was his contemporary, he said that Bucephalus was a murderous meat-eating horse and that he was originally purchased by King Philip, who was, Mm -hmm. you know, Alexander's father. And uh, because he was uh, constantly uh, killing his grooms, King Philip just kept him in a cage and fed him, you know, his enemies. Yeah. And uh, Alexander the Great wanted to prove himself to his father and his father said, you know, try to take this horse this murderous just, horse and he just did it. give her man give her try yeah. it out sure <laughs> with these stories like i don't like how horses like i already said with monsters but even a horse like bucephalus the most famous horse ever mm-hmm. he is just treated as an extension of the hero he's not his own separate entity Mm-hmm. Like he's just a tool that the hero uses to progress. Yeah, but like if it wasn't for Bucephalus, like where would Alexander be? He can't yeah, ride but... the open plains on foot. I mean, he can, but... <laughs> yeah, but like how much are you accomplishing if everything you accomplish is on the back of something else that is doing the work for you? Yeah, which is a question today too. Like how much work are you actually doing as a rider versus the horse? So yeah, I it's super important to like think of Bucephalus. It's unfortunate we only think of about Alexander the Great. Yeah, I see where you're going with that. <laughs> yeah, so Bucephalus uh, remained with Alexander the Great up until his death when they were murdered <laughs> by elephants. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. Can't put a horse against an elephant. That won't work, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Horses are tough. They're not that tough. <laughs> what with the uh, elephants, big feet and all. Yeah, but that reminds me now, this idea of horses being a, an extension of humans and just tools. Like mm-hmm. Alexander the Great was one of the greatest, you know, emperors in history and his empire spread out all to India mm-hmm. because of horses. And you know that Genghis Khan established the greatest empire in the history all also because of horses. Well, they had a little bit more of a connection with horses because it was like huge that they had to be really, really great riders. And I think they were known for being really great riders of these ponies. I forget what kind of ponies they were. As mo- the Mongolian horse. Oh, yeah. And actually yeah. in this book, it is stated that the Mongols uh, gave meat to their horses. Yes. Yeah. Uh, wasn't it fish? Yeah. It, it is mostly dried fish, but there are even modern examples of people in the Gobi Desert. We can go in into that mm-hmm. later once we go out of the mythology part yes right so there's this other myth like this is not only isolated in greek mythology there's mm-hmm. this japanese myth yes i like that one. Oh yeah <laughs> uh because you like it like the problem with japanese mythology is that westerners have not documented it well so yeah like this myth is only found in this book like i can't find much about it on the internet because Mm -hmm. it's not you know translated well Mm -hmm. so the myth is about the samurai who was known as oguri hangan he was a wandering samurai 
And there's this kind of Romeo and Juliet love story where he fell in love with some kind of princess or something. Like, guys, just go read the book if you want every <laughs> single detail on this. I'm just explaining it. He's trying to marry the emperors or what do you, was it emperor in Japan? Feudal Japan when they had warlords. Oh, yeah. Okay. So he was trying to marry the warlord's daughter and he was like, no, I don't like that. So he challenged him to ride this horse thinking yeah, that this yeah. horse would absolutely destroy him. Continue. When I was reading this story, like there's this scene of um, a wedding and a whole, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A dinner. And I was thinking, oh, now this is going to be like the Red Wedding from <laughs> Game of Thrones. <Yeah. laughs> but no, this warlord actually asked uh, this, this samurai guy if he you know, wanted to prove himself. And he's like, oh, what do I need to do? Do I need to do some archery? Do I need to throw knives? And he's like, no, you just need to ride my horse. Mm-hmm. And then he takes him to this fortress, this huge fortress with a moat around it. And in the center of this fortress is a single horse shackled with <laughs> chains to all four sides of the fortress. And all over the floor are skeletal remains and blood and hair of people. And this horse was known as Onikage, the dappled demon of Japan. Dappled, those damn dapples. Mm. So he challenged this uh, samurai to essentially tame his horse. So the samurai approached the horse in this room in this fortress, just looked at the horse and said this. I'm going to do the direct quote because it's kind of (laughs) meh. I think it's very sweet. Go on. So Oguri, the samurai, said, Greetings, Onikage. If you are a sentient being, prick up your ears and listen to me carefully. Other horses are kept tethered in ordinary stables. You are locked away in a grim prison. Other horses eat the green father brought to them by caring grooms. You instead devour those who attempt to help you. Other horses obey their masters. You kill anyone who tries to ride you. Uh, this is like imagine if, if somebody was sell- telling this to a woman in history <laughs> you know why are you just why are you so grumpy all the time you know we're trying to be nice to you why don't you just smile for once you know yeah like other horses <laughs> obey their masters and you try to kill anyone who wants to ride mm. you <laughs> okay <laughs> Stop being a dick, man. So this samurai went on to say, in exchange for their valuable service, other horses are treated with kindness because they allow men to ride them. These horses are often tethered outside the temple gate. While their master attends the ceremony inside, these horses can hear the prayers and those sutra readings remind the horses to consider their own future incarnations. (laughs) Okay, like, this is very (laughs) racist towards horses. Like, you're... you're You're talking to you an don't animal work that way, man. <laughs> You're talking to an animal that's shackled up yeah. about how it, it needs to serve you in order for it to have a nice life. That... Yeah, like as long as you obey to everything that I ask, I'll be good to you, man. <sighs> you know that's very questionable. Not an open green field of grass where you can graze all day. You will be tethered, but you get to listen to prayers all day. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, to human prayers, to human gods. 
Yeah. And when done is that this horse just kneeled in front of this uh, samurai and started crying tears of gold. And the <laughs> samurai hopped on his back and rode him outside where everybody saw the amazing spectacle. And then they had adventures together throughout many years and formed many legends. There were even legends that this guy was able to ride his horse like vertically on walls. Ver- <laughs> Yeah, I've never seen that happen yet. <laughs> oh, there's a reason I really like that story. Um, okay. I told you about that one horse that uh, I tried dealing with who was just a complete asshole and he almost bit my finger off. Yeah, you, you um, can share that story now. Uh, he was a gorgeous horse, but man, was he a grumpy son of a bitch. I was at a barn where we shared tasks of feeding the horses and cleaning the stalls. And this horse, it was like mostly asked that two people handle him at once because he was just grumpy. Like he'd go to bite after you'd pin his ears back. He'd like threaten to kick you when he went in. And it didn't matter how nice you were, how soft you were with him. He would just be super big grump all the time. But I'm extremely stubborn and my danger meter isn't really that great. So I was so determined that I'm just going to be like so zen around this horse. And for the most part, it was okay. But once in a while, out of friggin' nowhere, he would just like turn like a dime and be just a complete jerk to me. And there was a one time I think all I did was like go to like take his lead off because sometimes we'd attach him to the stall so we can put a blanket on and he wouldn't turn around and bite us. I went to just untie this beautiful beast and he just bit my finger and took a good chunk of it (laughs) off. And, you know, even with that, I was still like, no, I am determined. And I've ridden him once and he was super nice to ride. But man, oh man, during feeding time, it didn't matter if you presented him with a beautiful lush bowl of feed. He was just like, no, get out of my face. (laughs) I still see that as very questionable, you know, the perspective of that. Yeah. Like, here's a bowl of feet of of fucking hay. Just (laughs) let me ride you. But I maybe just rode him one time. Apart from that, it was just like, I feed you and I take you outside to your lush paddock. That's it. And he was still like a jerk. But it wasn't just me. It was like everybody. Like everybody had to be careful around this horse because for some reason he was just like not super pleasant all the time. Once in a while, he'd be great though. I can understand like right now. So we have been riding horses for 6,000 years, Mm -hmm. it's estimated. And we would not be where we are today without horses. No, absolutely not. It is, you know, understandable that now we treat horses in high regards Mm -hmm. and we take care of them because Mm -hmm. they brought us to this point. Yeah, absolutely. Even though they they don't know what what the heck's happening. No, (laughs) they're just like, you feed me, right? Cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you want to get on me? Sure, I guess. I'll I'll be pleasant for that. Yeah, but some of them are just like, they're kind of not meant for that. And I wish more people understood that. I mean, I'm of the horse world where we pretty much just love on our horses. We don't take ourselves too seriously. I've been Mm -hmm. in the horse world where people do take it more seriously. They're more show people. But I like that the more casual horse people, they care a lot more about the horse's emotions and what goes into them and making the horse happy because they understand or any good horse person understands that like you need to have a happy horse in order for them to cooperate with you. Well, so I, I want to go into this now with you. So mm-hmm. when you were buying your horse, obviously you are on a budget. Yes. You know, <laughs> you, you currently work in a bakery. I don't know if yep. you were working back then in a bakery. Uh, yeah, I was actually. Oh yeah. man, you're, yeah, you're yeah. a hardcore baker <laughs> as well as a horse girl. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing it for like, I think nine years now. Oh. I went to school wow. for it too. So yeah. Yeah, that that's a profession like that people just disregard and don't pay attention to. It's more highly regarded here in my country 
country because we have a tradition of eating bread with everything. Yeah, absolutely. Which is not a thing, you know, there. Like mm-hmm. today it is Orthodox Easter and you told mm-hmm. me like last night you guys were preparing a lot of stuff for for Romanians. Yes. There. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so obviously you were on a limited budget when you were uh, buying a horse. So you yeah. knew that you were not going to buy some, you know, very glamorous, exclusive, high breed or whatever. You're just Gosh, buying no. a horse. Yeah. Did you like realize that at that point this is an individual and an animal and all, you know, individual animals are valid equally? Yeah. Like yeah. You're not disappointed that you're not getting the best of the best, but who who says what's the best of the best when we're talking about living creatures? So best of the best, like, hey, if you're going to be competing and you're competing for money, you do want the best of the best. You want like a good line. I'm not in that. It costs too much money to compete. I'm never going to get to the level where I'm making money. So I just want a horse that I can love on and ride and have fun once in a while. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. 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 The bond that you have now with your horse, I imagine it is very, very different than, let's say, uh, sports horses and their jockey and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess it depends on the athlete and the horse because some of them will work with the specific horse all the time. So they do end up developing a bond. And like the thoroughbred world, or I guess standard, all the racing world, it's jockeys aren't always the same. So they're not necessarily working with the same horse all the time. And it's more about money there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess it really it is based on the individual. There is so many opinions in the horse world about how it should go. And especially in the competitive world, it's so much different. But yeah, like, you need to create a good bond with the horse in order to work with the horse properly. And not everybody will have or be able to form a bond with every horse. There have been some horses where I've had to just be like, we're not working out together. We should just break up and that's it. And you just accept it that way. Yeah. So like reading this book, I, I am coming into this book like as somebody from the outside, like I am not into horse stuff. It mm-hmm. would be like somebody who's not in the paranormal uh, reading the moth man prophecies yeah and not understanding anything mm-hmm. uh, but like i finished the book today and i am beginning to understand all this mm-hmm. i'm beginning to understand horses are individuals yeah and absolutely the, the book is filled with you know these historic accounts of horses that murdered people that murdered animals that were being fed meat or ate meat on their own or even cannibalism. Mm -hmm. But, you know, these are isolated incidents and there's always a deeper thing to it. Like, okay, I want to go into this now. Yeah, yeah. This is how I just hop from one topic to the other. (laughs) Let's talk about this. So Australia. Mm -hmm. I found this article. This is also the first thing you find when you search for killer horses. Let me find it. Oh, fuck. Okay, so this is from BBC News, and the article is named Horses More Deadly Than Snakes in Australia, data shows. (laughs) So they say that from 2000 to 2013, horses were responsible for 74 deaths in Australia, while bees and other stinging insects, and you know that Australia is full of, you know, venomous insects, Mm -hmm. even the most venomous in the world, were the next more dangerous with only 27 deaths compared to the 74 with horses. Yeah, but what's the context, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Followed yeah. <laughs> by followed by snakes, which were claim also claimed uh, twenty seven lives. So yeah, you know, horses kill more people than even snakes in fucking Australia. Yeah, yeah. But then, yeah, you gotta ask. The context is that people uh, fall off of horses because they're clumsy. <laughs> 
Oh, well, then that's not the horse's fault now, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, It is a dangerous sport. Like, I have fallen off many, many times. I am a pro at falling off, and I've had a concussion from falling off. Like, it is a dangerous sport, but you can't be like, horses are more deadly than venomous snakes. Like, no, you just, you fell off, (laughs) and you hurt yourself real bad. (laughs) That happens. (laughs) Sorry if this offends you, but you and your horse are such dopes that when you fall off, your (laughs) horse ends up the one with with a spinal problem. (laughs) oh yeah poor thing but that's a that spinal problem is actually super common like he was a racing horse beforehand and uh, it's actually super common in thoroughbred horses because i had to do a ton of research because i didn't know what the hell was going on with him for a good while i mean go into like the whole bad behavior he was kind of dangerous to ride until i figured out what was actually wrong with him i think that's an important thing to note is we can call horses mean or whatever but there is usually an underlying issue to why they're behaving that way and in my horse's case it was his saddle just did not fit well with his back and it was causing him pain so that's the reason he was kind of being a jerk so it's like it's not necessarily the horse's fault it's usually we we always blame it on the humans like it's very rarely that the horse is just a big jerk yeah now Um, i I wanted to go into this because it's also related to australia but also just media writing something out of context mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so there was this case of horses being photographed in Australia, in the Australian Alps, what they refer to as the Australian Alps. Mm-hmm. The place is, fuck, how can I pronounce this? <laughs> uh, Kosciusko National Park. All right. I don't know what you're talking about, so I'll figure out. They call this uh, the snowy mountains or whatnot. And like, it's in Australia, but the pictures show it's covered in snow. So uh, there is this huge population of wild horses there. They were domesticated horses, but they went feral and started reproducing. Okay. They were photographed, I think I see on the photo, three horses eating uh, the guts of a dead horse. Woohoo. So essentially cannibalism. Yeah, which is odd, but... This, this was posted, and then there have been talks even before this incident of eradicating these wild horses, you know, from that national park. They're creating a problem in the ecosystem. Yep, definitely. And then, you know, the horse guys just joined this bandwagon, and I find this other article. So it says, the sickest anti-horse propaganda ever seen. And I want to just read uh, what this person uh, stated. In my opinion, horse haters are the vicious bunch of brainless subhumans operating on the same level as ISIS warriors. Completely (laughs) sociopathic, they have no ability to think beyond the enjoyment of playing around in the blood of the humans and animals they kill. Holy moly. This article is a waste of your time. It is also a complete waste of the paper and ink used to print it, though mostly it's printed on the internet. The only value is to show how low the horse haters will go to justify the cruelty and killing. Sadly, these people, in quotation marks, are typical of those who promote horse killing here in the United States, including a number of elected U.S. representatives and senators. Pure, ugly, vicious hatred with no basis in any reality. They make up lies, get some authority to say the words, then expect the public to believe it. Even more frightening, the public does believe it. It's on the internet, so it's gotta be true. Um, are, are horse people usually this <laughs> extreme? Um, I, n- no. I, I mean, it just really sounds like 
I mean, some people are, but I chalk it up to like, they don't understand how damaging horses could possibly be. It's like any species that like breeds out of control and then they end up damaging the ecosystem. Like I haven't seen the the original article, but it's believable because I've heard of other groups of wild horses and they'll pin them as, you know, they're problematic. And then you have the other people like, oh, just leave them alone. They're wild horses, but they actually do cause a problem to the land around. And then if you have domesticated horses, it can really interfere with that as well. So there is truth to the original article. And I don't like yeah. this, like, you know, <laughs> lack of criticism towards it's just somebody going, I like ponies and this is really yeah. mean. And, and, like, and you no. guys are like ISIS. <laughs> yeah, like that's a little much there. No, not at all. I mean, if they're just go, if the horses aren't causing a problem and you're just like, yeehaw, let's go shoot some horses, then, you know, that's an issue. But yeah, yeah. If there is genuine cause for the ecosystem, then, you know, something unfortunately needs to be done just like any other species of animal. There's this huge problem like in the horse world. So we take horses for granted. We we have forgotten that these were naturally occurring animals that yeah. lived in the wild. Yeah. And then we domesticated them and we essentially fucked up their genetics and made them dependent on us. Absolutely. And we, you know, formed this symbiotic relationship with them. Mm-hmm. But like in the early 1900s, when Ford created his car, we just stopped caring about horses. And now yeah. we have this whole species of a creature on this planet that has been alongside us for 6,000 years mm-hmm. that we have just uh, started started ignoring because we can't use it as a tool anymore. And that's yep. why there are equestrians now because they're essentially paying tribute to the work that horses have done throughout yeah. the years. Yeah, pretty much. We're like, oh, bless you. Thank you so much for doing all this stuff. I will just take care of you and bow to your every will now. Yeah, but <laughs> we, we, we brought exactly. ourselves to that problem, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're just going to continue breeding horses. And unfortunately, for the most part, it's just all about money. And that sucks, especially in the racing world where horses are pretty disposable. I'm sure I'm going to have some like haters going after me for that. But (laughs) in this case, like in this national park, there are these feral horses. This is in Australia. So, you know, not much food out there. But this is on a mountain where it's snowy. So it's Mm -hmm. Australia and it's snowy and it's on a mountain. Mm especially not much food there. So yeah. they're eating, they're cannibalizing each other because they have nothing to eat. And even on the pics, you can see they are emaciated. You can see their ribs and everything. Yeah, so it's a cannibalistic, uh, what, what do you call that? There's herbivores, carnivores, there's omnivores, but then there's the opportunistic carnivores. Opportunistic okay. carnivores. Yeah. Well, we, we can go into that. So, oh man, there are so many topics I want to cover here now. <laughs> So I first of all, first off, you're Canadian. Yep. I wanted to make a joke because these things are emaciated and they resorted to cannibalism. If this was in Canada, would they become Wendigos? Ooh, <laughs> ooh, Wendigos. I don't know. I would hope so. Anyways, that's pretty cool. Imagine that Wendigo horses. Oh, I like only briefly know about Wendigo horses, but I remember thinking they're really, really cool. Look it up. The other problem with cannibalism. So you know about mad cow disease. Oh, yeah. It's a prion disease. And why it occurred is because people started feeding cattle other cattle. You know, cattle feed was being made out of the bones of other cows. And prion diseases are spread this way through cannibalism. 
I wonder why they did that. Yeah, you know of the Kuru disease in New Guinea, indigenous people who yes. resort to cannibalism. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. I do know about that. And that does happen with cows, doesn't it? That's where you're going with this, aren't you? That happens with cows, but I'm thinking like it's not such a big occurrence with horses, but if horses cannibalize each other, maybe eventually they can spread some kind of prion disease. Yeah, most likely. And then become Wendigos. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we would we would say they are Wendigos and have Wendigo psychosis, as we did say for, for a lot of Canadians, and then you know kill them legally. Yeah. Legally, <laughs> you know, cannibalism is always associated with the potential of spreading prion diseases, and it affects mm. your brain because it creates uh, holes inside your brain. It becomes like Swiss cheese, essentially. Oh, gross! It's an airy brain. Yeah. <laughs> Where were we, man? Uh... <laughs> There's this other account. I th- I don't know the details. It's it's detailed in this book, but unfortunately, it's the only thing that w- was not provided much information. But somewhere in England, police have raided some compound where they were breeding horses, and they found like tens of horse corpses. They found a lot of emaciated, starving horses there, like a lot of horses in their own shit. Very very bad stuff. And one of the guys who was um, in interviewed by the news stated that he thinks these horses that were still alive were probably living off the dead horses there which i don't know that makes sense to me it is opportunity food is food yeah and reading this book you find out horses can eat meat but they are naturally herbivores yeah absolutely their gut is uh, you know biologically designed to process plants and they Mm -hmm. have teeth which are used for grinding very very tough things very woody things i think they even have an enzyme that can break down a type of cellulose that is found in more fibrous more woody plants material that other plant eaters don't have Mm -hmm. so you know that that's why we give horses hay that's why horses can fucking live off of twigs and bark if they need to in the winter that's exactly what they're meant for and they yeah. do, I was looking actually at uh, uh, like equine dentistry this morning and they just have the molars, the molars and the incisors, but the male horses will have canine teeth. Oh. Female horses do not have them or at least a very small amount will have um, underdeveloped canines. So it kind of made me think like, okay, well, is that maybe a reason why horses eat meat? But those canines are strictly for essentially horse battle. <laughs> so whenever the two stallions go after each other, it is just for bite. Oh man, so that did not uh, form due to natural selection, but sexual selection. Yeah, pretty much. That's a concept in biology. Like for Darwin's deviations, I made a whole episode about fanged frogs, frogs that have fangs. Yeah, yeah. But these were not, you know, teeth. These were projections of the lower jaw. Only males had very pronounced ones because they're used for male on male battles. Mm -hmm. They're not used for, you know, uh, catching prey. Nope. Yeah. That's a very interesting thing. I I need to look into that. Yeah, yeah. So is male-on-male competition in the horse world like a very prominent thing now that they are, you know, domesticated animals? They don't have to court each other in natural, you know, environments in the wild. I don't have that much experience with stallions. So I can't really speak to that. Most of the male horses that I've dealt with were all gelded. So you just kind of knock that behavior out of them. Mm -hmm. And and that I've seen that behavior like with the mares, with mares and geldings, geldings on geldings. Like you don't really see them fighting too much. Geldings tend to play fight a little bit more. No, you wouldn't see like that crazy action that you 
you would see maybe with wild horses. It makes sense. Like here in this book, like near the end, there is this case from Russia of a group of wild horses fitting their young from wolves. Mm-hmm. And they essentially, the way that they attack things, horses, they bite something and pick it up in their mouth and oh, just yeah. thrash it around. Yep. <laughs> then they drop it on the ground and trample it to death. Yeah. Yeah, it's very effective. And I've actually heard of like scenarios where they've picked children up to do the same thing. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. that happened in Australia in 2008. Yeah, I've actually in a horse group that I'm in very recently, I've heard that some woman had a horse and the horse would just snap at anything. It could be really nice one minute and nasty the other. And it actually picked up her child and went to like throw her child. Oh, man. Yeah. So, so- <laughs> This uh, incident that happened in Australia, it was an 18-month boy, mm-hmm. and he uh, somehow found himself in, in over the fence in some pasture where horses are being bred. And mm-hmm. this stallion just picked him up and thrashed him and essentially killed the child. Yeah, yeah. And they needed to put down the horse. But the problem is that the stallion was actually protecting the baby horses. Exactly. Yeah. And this has been observed in this Russian incident, this account where the mares Mm -hmm. essentially created a circle around their young, just like musk oxes do. You know, they're very known for that. And the young are enclosed in this circle of their mothers. But the stallions would be running around them and attacking the wolves the same way. Yeah. And it is an instinct where they are just protecting their young. Yeah, absolutely. It goes back to what I said earlier where, you know, there's usually always a reason for this like crazy behavior in horses. It's not just because they feel like doing it that <laughs> that moment. Yeah, but like in this incident where this child was killed, you would think this horse is raised on a farm and, mm-hmm. you know, we have these babies closed off and everything is protected, but the horse yep. is still an animal that relies on its animalistic instincts. Exactly. Yeah. You can never completely knock that out of a horse. Yeah. And like for some reason, it thought that this little child Mm -hmm. was a threat to its own children. That's Mm -hmm. it's such a sad story that they needed to kill the horse because of that. Yeah, yeah, it's like a, going back to the story I was saying about the the lady, like she put that horse down for sure because it was going to become a continuous problem, even though it's not technically the horse's, you know, horse's fault, but it still poses a risk to any kids that would go around that horse. Now, um, back to the uh, meat eating, you said they are opportunistic carnivores. So that reminded me of this. There is no such thing in the mammal world as a complete herbivore. No, exactly. Because even herbiv- herbivorous animals sometimes opportunistically eat meat or yeah. lick blood or stuff like that. Here's yeah. a very well-documented example, deer in America because you guys have lots of serial killers not you not you in Canada <laughs> you have you don't have as much serial killers but the ones you do have are more fucked up than the American ones honestly yeah like the pig farmer in Vancouver like Ooh. Picton or yeah, Picton. Uh, I forget his first name. But anyways, oh, yeah, Robert Picton. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Anyways, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's true. Yeah. The example I was gonna tell you. So, deer. You know that murderers constantly dump bodies in the woods. Yeah. Now, deer stumble upon these bodies and just munch on the bones because Ooh. they have a deficiency in calcium yeah. that they cannot get from, you know, plant food. So when they stumble upon carcasses, even human carcasses, they will eat up that bone because yeah. of the calcium. 
yeah, and this causes problems uh, to the police because now the crime scene is, you know, <laughs> fucked those up. damn deer screwing up our crime scene. Like even uh, squirrels are known to go into bird nests and eat the chicks. Yeah, well, even just like eggs too. I never heard of squirrels eating chicks. I've heard, but like you hear of like rodents eating their own babies too. Like you hear about that a lot too. Oh man, I love these tangents. So you reminded me now. The hippopotamus. Oh gosh, those hippos. They're dangerous. So you know that hippopotamus actually means river horse in Latin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like even (laughs) in my language, we refer to them as Nilski Kony, which means Nile horse, like horse from the Nile. That's a funny looking horse. Very, very chunky horse. <laughs> I mean, you, you know about the original accounts of unicorns, and they were probably rhinos because they were yeah. the way they were. Uh, fuck. <laughs> this is the stuff I edit out. The way they were described is more akin to rhinos and hippos and stuff like that than actual horses. Mm-hmm. And there was this motif like uh, in the Middle Ages that people thought every land animal had its own sea counterpart. So, you know, there is the cow and there's the sea cow, yeah. but there's also the horse and there's the sea or river horse. Sure, that makes sense. <laughs> Hippo horse. <laughs> Why I'm mentioning the hippos, you know, hippos are her- herbivores. Yeah. But they're the most violent and most dangerous animal in Africa. 100%. And they are known to eat their own young. I didn't know that. You didn't know that? I didn't know that. Oh, man. So males will eat the babies of other females so they may force them to want to have sex with them. Right. You know what? Yes. Now that you say it that way, now I remember the story. Yeah. It's like eliminating future competition. I just didn't yes. know the went and like had a tiny hippo kebab at the end of it yeah now you'd think this is more of a reproductive strategy yeah that they are not carnivores per se but they also eat other animals and they actively hunt them (laughs) there are accounts like from africa from natives of a hippo just coming out of the jungle and going towards a calf that was that was tied down and just eating that calf in one bite. Wow. And the people were just terrified. What the fuck is happening? And the hippo (laughs) just returns back to the jungle. To be fair. Yeah. I'd also be like, whoa. I like that. He just like turned around, went back to the jungle though. I was like, holy shit. Holy shit. And he's like, Hey guys, bye guys. That's all I needed. Enjoy your day. (laughs) Hope I didn't freak you out too much. (laughs) Like a hippo. And you think, ah, this chubby thing. And then it fucking eats a calf. Yeah. And then just turns around, show, shows its blobby ass to you. And, and, <laughs> Does that and it fades away into they the like jungle. Shake their tail and the poop goes all over the place too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know that they actually sweat something that looks like blood, but it's not blood. It's oh. a red ooze. Red ooze. Yeah, that sounds yeah. way better. So the writer of this book goes into this like, why do we accept that hippos can be carnivores, but we don't accept that horses can as well? Hmm. Well, I think it's probably just like that personal relationship that we've developed with horses. And we put this little (laughs) magical spin on them. Like, ooh, this beautiful horse is going to let me ride him into the sunset. But we see hippos as like these like wild animals. And it's kind of like, well, you expect anything from them. Yeah. And like he goes into this whole thing about capitalism and about the horse industry and how horse magazines are full of crap and none of them... (laughs) actually write about you know relevant things just sounds like an average horse person honestly 
We're so opinionated, it's ridiculous. So this is actually from the book. A quote from somebody who sent an email to this writer criticizing horse magazines. He said, The trouble with horse magazines is instead of giving readers something that would shock, educate, or change their perceptions, they are too set on the results of focus groups, readership demographics surveys, and chasing the market share. They give the readers what they think they want, repackaged kitsch aimed at the lowest common denominator of readers and writers. Sounds so pretentious. Yeah, like (laughs) whenever there's a quote from some kind of horse guy and even, you know, the guy who wrote this book, it does sound pretentious sometimes. But the point of this quote was that the writer was going into this whole discussion that there are these historical accounts and they have been completely ignored by the horse community because the horse community just wants to paint this picture of horses being prey animals and that humans are the predators. Mm -hmm. And he refers to this as equestrian amnesia, where people have forgotten what the true nature of horses is. Now, the point of the book is not to paint a picture that horses are monsters. It's just to paint a picture that we idealize horses so much that we have forgotten that they are very, very complex animals, just like humans, you know? Not, not all humans are assholes, but there are some assholes and we can eat different things. We are omnivores. We can have different personalities. Horses are the same. And we want to paint this idealized picture of what a horse is, but willfully forget that they are capable of many different things. And we paint this picture that they are prey, that, that they are prey animals which are frightened of humans. Mm-hmm. But in reality, they, you know, are much stronger than us. Yes. And they are much more capable than us. They can fucking kill us and fucking eat our face. That happened in the French-Russian War. One yeah. of the Napoleonic generals had a horse. He bit the whole face off of somebody, didn't he? Yeah. He yeah. bit the whole face off a Russian soldier. And then yeah. he took another Russian soldier in his mouth yep. and carried him off on top of a hill and trampled him to death yeah and i've heard of like actual real life stories about that not to say that wasn't real life but that's like happened to somebody i know too (laughs) not picked up but like just like knocked him the horse was like sick of that person's shit and they fell off and then the horse started stomping away oh yeah that that's another thing like in this book that uh, he goes into this idea of uh, captive domesticated animals wanting to rebel against their captors like say in zoos like dolphins uh there's a whole industry around dolphins because people are willing to pay a hundred bucks just to pet a dolphin for two minutes. Yeah, yeah like leave me alone, human. <laughs> oh yeah, then the, you have these cases of dolphins being aggressive towards people in, in these marine lands and shit like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's because they're sick of it. That's not what they want to do, but we just like impose our, our presence on them all the time. It's like, are these animals capable of more deep thought just like humans capable of revenge and rebellion i don't think they quite think of it i think it's more of like a quick response the thing is like how humans learn humans learn by observation but animals learn by firsthand experience yes absolutely so a horse will not observe a situation and then have let's say a revenge motive based on an observation but if something bad happens to the horse then he will be aware of that and then he will you know his thoughts will go towards that direction yeah absolutely it's like you hear of like rescue horses and how it takes a really long time to rehabilitate them so that they trust humans again because they've experienced that abuse so much that they associate abuse with humans 
and then they can be dangerous, but it's not their fault. They're just going, I don't want to, I don't want this to happen to me. So I'm going to be on guard and I'm going to be quote unquote mean to protect myself. Oh man. Another thing I wanted to mention, you just get me on so many. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One topic to the next. It's like the book. (laughs) You should understand like listeners, maybe this episode is very weird and we're just hopping from one thing to the other. Like this is the first episode where I read a whole book because of the episode. <laughs> I mean, you did say that was, this was just going to be a chill discussion. I mean, isn't it chill? <laughs> We're talking about murderous horses. It's it's great. Yeah, this is my kind of zen. <laughs> okay, so there is this story in the book, and this story was popularized because of this book. Like, if you try to search for man-eating horses on the internet, this is the story you will most likely find. It is about the man-eater of Lucknow. And this is a horse that was apparently gifted by King George IV of England to Maharaja of Oud, some kind of a lord in India. I'm not going to read like verbatim. I'm just going to go off of memory. So this reporter guy, an Englishman, was going through the countryside in this Indian village and they started seeing bodies around the village. They stopped to look at the body and it looked like it had no face and that its head was just gnawed with teeth. So they continued on with their carriage and uh, stumbled upon this only alive person. They saw some kind of villager and he was warning them about the man-eater being loose. Mm -hmm. They didn't know what the heck was happening until they stumbled upon a horse in the distance and the horse was carrying a dead child in its mouth. Mm-hmm. And it was covered in blood and guts. He's also shaking the child violently. Yeah, yeah. Savagely, what, it says. <laughs> once their eyes met, this horse just dropped the baby corpse and started rushing towards these guys. And then, you know, they were on a horse carriage. They were just racing, <laughs> racing with this horse to go into some gated community and reported this to the lord of that place, whatever. And that lord, that Indian lord, the next day pitted the horse against a tiger, a very popular tiger that he prized. And the horse fucked up the tiger. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there was a one horse that got fucked up by the tiger. Oh, yeah. So he pitted pitted a mare and this horse against the tiger. And the tiger killed the mare Mm -hmm. and drank the mare's blood. I mean, I don't know how much tigers would drink fucking blood, but okay. Yeah, sipped it with a straw. Yeah, he he (laughs) included the mare there because he was planning for the tiger to kill the mare and become more bloodthirsty with the taste of the mare's Mm. blood. Yes, of course. But the tiger was totally like fucked up by (laughs) the stallion. Yeah. And then he brought another tiger and that tiger was fucked up by the stallion. (laughs) So he decided this stallion deserves to live because he's such a (laughs) badass. He is the new tiger now. Like listeners, if you want an actual, you know, informative version of the story, just go read the book or or search on the internet. Which, you know what, that's not really so far-fetched because if you think of zebras, like they have to go up against lions and they'll kick the shit out of a lion if they really want to. Yeah, but this horse murdered a whole village of people. Yeah, but I, you know, how true is this? (laughs) That's like the problem with the stories in this book. There's a lot of them that I'm like, well, what's exaggerated and what's kind of true? Okay. (laughs) This is how we know that these stories are true. Yeah. 
I, I, you need to just let me pause and find these things. Man, okay. this is so annoying. Like listeners, when I want to mention something from this book, like I have everything bookmarked. I have read this book on script and you can bookmark everything. Mm-hmm. And everything I have bookmarked is names and locations because I can't remember this shit. There's so many in here. Yeah. So this is one example I wanted to read because it makes no sense. Like, I don't know what the fuck I'm reading. So it says... <laughs> Dorji Gelchen was Zimpan or Lord Chamberlain to His Majesty Zhigme Singya Wangshuk, the fourth king of Bhutan. What the fuck did I just read? <laughs> was that what you sent me earlier? Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh. you're reading through these cases and then that that's the context that you're provided. So there's this Dorjian guy who is a Zimpan, but a Zimpan is a Lord's Chamberlain, like some kind of title to his majesty. So to the King of England. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it's not the King of England, but it's this Jingmei guy who is the fourth King of Bhutan. And this is what annoys me with history. Like, I can't read historic books because it is too anthropocentric. It is so focused on these fucking titles without any context. <laughs> like, just give me his n- regular name, man. Like, we get it's it. It's like in, in Game of Thrones when Daenerys starts saying all her titles. Yeah. And I'm like, God, oh, get on with it already. I don't care. You're Daenerys. That's that's how we know you. I don't care what else you are. Yeah, but like, historians feel it is very important to include this bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I don't like royalty and stuff. Because it's too complicated. They all need to sit down. <laughs> sit down. You're not that important. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it's it's heavy. And like within the first hundred pages of the, of the books, you get like 10 different stories and you're like, all right, got to remember all these names. I was so reluctant to make this episode now. And I, I just kept telling you, like, at first I was like, we should totally read this whole book and talk about everything. And then, mm-hmm. you know, one week later, we postpone the, the recording and I'm like, you know, we're just going to chat. I'm going to read this stuff. And then the next week I'm like, you know what? I, I, I don't care anymore. <laughs> all right discussion's over goodbye (laughs) no but it's like yeah it's cool i have my horse experience of life to bring to the table and you got some crazy horse meat eating stories and now that you mentioned zebras do you know what a quagga is (gasps) yes yes i do Oh man, that, that's the most beautiful thing ever. So mm-hmm. listeners, go search quagga. So it is a species of zebra that died out in the late 1800s, but it looks like a cross between a horse and a zebra. Yeah, it's got the front end of a zebra and it's got the butt of a donkey, kind of. It looks like a reverse okapi. Yeah, that too. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it does look like an okapi. So in the book, there is this story, this account, like before the quagga went extinct, this was in the early 1800s, they observed a group of 50 quaggas just traveling in a line like a caravan. And one quagga separated from this group uh, because it saw a hyena in a bush and just started chasing the hyena like unprovoked and because the quagga is much faster than the hyena it reached the hyena it thrashed it with its mouth as usual threw it on the ground then it stomped its neck and then it put its whole mouth over the hyena's neck and bit it and the hyena just died yeah take them out absolutely but like hyenas are crazy right so that was a threat to that quagga yeah but it was unprovoked man (laughs) the hyena was just in the bush (laughs) (laughs) Can't take any chances.
So there are historic accounts of these white European assholes who were colonizing Africa using Mm -hmm. horses to hunt down hyenas. And they said, Mm -hmm. like, even when the rider would fall off the horse, like the horse would go after the hyena on its own. Like it really enjoyed killing these things. Oh, it kind of reminds me of donkeys. How like donkeys, if they see like something that might be a potential threat, they're like, I'm on it. I'm going to destroy that thing. Yeah, donkeys are crazy. Well, it's cool that you mentioned that. So mules are fucking Mm. badass. There's this guy who is documented in this book from New Mexico who is a hunter of mountain lions. And he has hunted mountain lions with the help of dogs, you know. Mm -hmm. But he bought once a mule. Mm-hmm. and has been using this mule for hunting mountain lions since then because the mule actively chases the mountain lions on its own and kills them. That's crazy. A mountain lion. It even eats them. Oh, wow. It's just... He just doesn't like them. So he said like the first time he hunted with this mule, they killed a mountain lion and he allowed the mule to lick its blood. <laughs> And already the the second time it was more open to, you know, actively pursuing these mountain lions and like very quickly it just started displaying this murderous rage whenever it sees a mountain lion and just kills them and eats them. That's crazy. I know my skeptic brain is like, yeah, right, man. (laughs) Well, there are photos in the book. There are? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> of the of the mule actually eating it too? Yeah. Wow. All right, then I've been told that's crazy. The most famous record, uh, documented photographic record, let's say, of horses eating animal products was a film that was filmed in Tibet in the 30s when World War II broke out. And there was this guy who was tasked by Heinrich Himmler to go to Tibet and document their occult shit because, you know, Heinrich Himmler was into the occult. Yes. But this guy uh, wanted none of that. He was interested, you know, in the ethnological stuff in the culture. He documented this practice where they would open up a live goat and uh, rupture its aorta in a way that its blood flows into its stomach. Okay. Then they open the stomach of this goat and with their own hands, they cup their hands and just transfer the blood into some kind of pestle where they add this kind of flour or dough that's made from plants that they have there and they add yak fat. And this is Mm -hmm. what they would feed their horses because Mm -hmm. high up in the Himalayas, it is, you know, very rough terrain and they had these specialized horses that were fed blood so they can be you know more energetic and more stronger in this harsh climate now you Mm -hmm. you did read in the book uh, of the accounts when people were exploring the south pole antarctica yeah yeah and they employed siberian horses and they kept feeding them meat yeah but they mixed it in a mash essentially yeah 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 like in these harsh terrains it has been known for centuries that horse riders feed their horses meat. Mm -hmm. Like in the Himalayas, uh, when exploring Antarctica, but these were Siberian horses, so they're traditionally fed meat in Siberia. In Iceland, in Scandinavia, people feed them either whale blubber or dried fish. Yep. 
Yeah. And in the Gobi Desert, like you mentioned, the Mongols. So it is traditional for those horses to be fed meat. And National Geographic, somewhere in the 30s, documented this nomadic tribe in the Gobi Desert that was uh, escaping from the Chinese Revolution when China became communist and they were, you know, killing everybody around themselves. So they were fleeing from China through the Gobi Desert and their horses did not have anything to eat. So there were these wild asses in the Gobi Desert, like donkeys, and they would hunt down these donkeys and allow their horses to eat them. Oh. And yeah, this was documented by National Geographic even, but nobody really paid attention to that fact. No, no, because it's all the way at the other end of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And is that cannibalism, like if a horse eats a donkey? No, I don't think so because they are different. They're very similar, but they're quite different. So I don't think it would count as cannibalism. But they are, you know, similar enough that they can mate and they don't produce fertile offspring, you know. No, they do not. Yeah. (laughs) They just produce this like stubborn thing with massive ears. But what are mules used for? Like to have the stubbornness of a donkey, but also the strength of a horse. Yeah, exactly. They're used for work mostly. Yeah, pretty much. Like, you very rarely see people riding mules, honestly. Yeah, like, I think in the book it's documented, like, in the 30s in Tibet, they were using mules as a postal service through the Himalayas. Yeah, and mules are used a lot during the World Wars as well because they're so stoic and stubborn, very strong creatures. Have you ever uh, encountered a mule? No, I've never seen a mule. I've seen donkeys, and I love them because they're stubborn, just like me, but not a mule, actually. (laughs) There's funny little creatures. They're so like stout and stocky and super stubborn. Yeah. But no, I've never actually encountered a mule. People don't really uh, see use for them because we we don't really use horses for work that much anymore, right? So like, what's the point of having a mule? I mean, maybe mules are mostly used in these cultures, which are not, you know, urbanized as much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I should have specified that for sure. But like in North America, where, you know, we're not really using horses for work anymore. There's kind of no point in having mules. But yeah. Or here, like we we have a lot of rural areas, Mm -hmm. like we are modern now, but we are still in this liminal space. We are a developing country. Mm -hmm. There are places where people do have horses because it was just a tradition passed on to them and now that they have a horse they use the horse to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. plow the field stuff like that you know yeah exactly and they use those very old timey plows like from the from 200 years ago (laughs) yeah i mean they're not doing massive fields so that works yeah now i wanted to touch upon something else so Uh, The first horse, geologically speaking, like the first prehistoric ancestor of the horses was Eohippus. Yeah. Which is known as the Dawn Horse. Yeah. And it was the size of a dog. Yeah. (laughs) They're real cute. We actually have one on quote unquote display at our museum here in Ottawa. Yeah, I saw saw on your Instagram you were visiting some kind of natural museum and got a crystal from there. Yeah, the Natural History Museum. It's one of my favorites. It's Is it the one in Toronto? No, no, like right in Ottawa. I live like 10 minutes away from it, not even. Oh, man. I yeah. only visited the Royal Canadian Museum in Toronto. In Toronto, which I have never been to. And I really want to go to that one. And it's like way bigger. But yeah, we have one in Ottawa as well. If you like natural history, they have yeah. a lot of stuff there. Yeah, definitely. 
definitely. But I, I'd like to like, obviously I'm not in Canada anymore. Maybe mm-hmm. I visit Canada again in my life, but I'd like to visit some kind of museums in British Columbia because British Columbia has a lot of paleontological history, mm-hmm. a lot of these fossil deposits. Yeah, yeah. I was mentioning Eohippus. So listeners, yep. my first pitch to Katrina here was essentially like, hey, you're a horse girl and <laughs> I am an asshole who reads about horses on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to make an episode where Darwin ruins horses for, yeah. for a horse girl. <laughs> so I was, I was thinking like what to cover because obviously I didn't want to just cover meat eating horses. I was mm-hmm. looking up a lot of dirt on horses and <laughs> I remembered that, you know, there were terror birds in North America, giant birds that were even bigger than ostriches. Oh, right. You sent me that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And because horses back then, so funny thing, uh, horses evolved first on the North American continent, Mm -hmm. but they were all killed off by the indigenous peoples there, you know, the uh, Native Americans and Mesoamericans by their ancestors. And once, you know, Spaniards started colonizing the Americas with horses, these new Mesoamericans saw horses and were like, what the fuck is this shit? But... (laughs) They did not know that their ancestors actually ate all the horses into extinction. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's interesting. (laughs) It's so so funny and it's so ironic. So the irony of that. Just imagine. So we are here today where we are because of horses. Yeah. I mean, Western society, but, you know, originating from Europe. But these Mesoamericans, they already had horses. Mm -hmm. And what they thought to do with them was to eat them. Yeah. And then many centuries later, Spaniards would come onto their continent with their own versions of horses that they are using properly Mm -hmm. and then just wipe all these people out. Yeah. (laughs) Like you already had the tools to be as, you know, strong and fierce as, as the Europeans. Yeah, and you, you just ate that your could help you out. Yeah, they could have <laughs> helped you, man, but you saw them as food. <laughs> oh. So since North America was home to these terror birds, and Eohippus was also in North America, it was a proto horse, but it you know had very short, stubby legs. It had four fingers on each each like- leg looks nothing like a modern day horse yeah it looks more like a dog yeah absolutely or like a it kind of looks like a capybara yeah these terror birds used to feed on these horses but now the tables have turned and now horses are feeding (laughs) on chickens (laughs) baby chicks specifically because they're tiny and crunchy and it's just nice to have one bite snacks yeah and isn't that the story of the mesoamericans and the spaniards like tables (laughs) have turned and now (laughs) Now the predator has become the prey. Yeah, whoopsies. Done goofed there. So why I'm going into Eohippus is because a lot of paleontologists believe that they ate everything just like pigs. And they were very similar to pigs. Yeah, yeah. And over time, horses essentially morphed into what we we know now. So they reduced the number of fingers on their legs so they Mm. can gallop properly. Yeah, because the terrain started changing, right? So Eohippus was more like a marshy creature. And then everything started drying up. So they needed to... Yeah, now you have open plains. So now you have... Now you have an open space where you have all the food you want to eat, grass. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, mm-hmm. if you are adapted to eat that. So mm-hmm. surely your adaptations will go towards, you know, utilizing that food source. But because it's open terrain, you are exposed to predators and you need to be able to gallop away from them. So that's why uh, horses developed, you know, a single toe on each leg, yeah. as well as very elongated legs and uh, a very, you know, muscly body structure and an elongated head as well. So they can graze yeah. this grass. But it is believed because of all the transitional forms that exist between Eohippus and today's horse, people are studying now various different fossils, especially the teeth of these fossils. And they're coming to the conclusion that there have been periods where horses shifted from one food source to the other. Yeah. So as climate would change, and you know that it changes in cycles, horses would also cyclically change the way they feed. So it is possible that they sometimes did feed on meat, like if there was not enough plant material, if it was, let's see, say winter or the ice age. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. Yeah, and now we have been spending the last 6,000 years essentially feeding them completely plant-based foods. And we have this idealized versions that they are herbivores, that they will never eat meat, and that they are only this. But what they are now is an artificial modification of what they were uh, as actual wild animals. Yeah. Because we artificially selected them throughout thousands and thousands of years and have created a mutated version of what nature provided us. Yeah, we've bred them to make it more compatible for our uses, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, that's... uh... I, I want Eohippus to still be alive, though. That'd be really cute to see one of those just running around. <laughs> you know, people have uh, pigs as pets. and Imagine having a, a, a little pig-sized horse. I mean, there are oh. ponies. Oh, man, those are monstrosities. Oh, oh, we have some at the barn, too. We have the one. Her name is Little Princess or Little P. She's very sweet. <laughs> is it like th- those ponies that have very stubby legs? Yeah, 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 she's walk. yeah, she's a miniature. Well, she can walk just fine. She can trot and gallop, and it's the cutest thing to see because she's got tiny legs. Yeah, no. Then you see like the the miniature horses who have dwarfism, like that exists as well, and mm-hmm. they they can't move very well. But I've never seen one of those. But those cute sassy miniature horses, oh boy, those are cute. Watch out for those guys, though. They're the mischievous ones. <laughs> <laughs> I always say, watch out for the ponies. It's not the big horses you got to be scared of. <laughs> well, now now I'm getting random thoughts in my head. So uh, <laughs> back to the horses that were used in the exploration of Antarctica. So mm-hmm. they are Siberian horses. Now, they were first utilized when exploring the North Pole in Canada. Mm-hmm. And you know what they fed those horses? I, I just know that they were fed the shredded meat into their mash. Yeah, that, that's the Antarctica one. Oh. This is before that. So oh. <laughs> they were fed polar bear meat. Oh, right. Yes, I remember eating that. Yeah. like You remember eating that? No, I remember reading about that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> when I got into like page uh, 80 something of the book. It was like the last thing I read in there. No, I've never eaten polar bear meat. How? No. <laughs> I mean, you're a Canadian. How dare you not eat polar bear meat? I mean, should be my main diet, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And uh, listeners, I asked Kat, like, before we recorded, are you maybe vegetarian, vegan? And she's like, no, but I used to be. And I I said, just like horses. (laughs) Opportunistic. 
yeah. <laughs> Polar bear meat is very rich in vitamin A, and mm. especially their liver can be poisonous to humans if consumed, and it has been consumed by a lot of explorers who died because of eating polar bear liver. Oh. Crazy. Yeah, that, that's a fun fact. Yeah, I didn't know that. I, I was thinking uh, for very long, like, in which episode should I mention that? And this is perfect. This is perfect, yes. <laughs> yeah, you actually get a huge dose of vitamin A. And because vitamin A is soluble in fat, it's not a water mm-hmm. soluble mm-hmm. vitamin, you can get overdosed on it and yep. die. Yeah, yeah. Oh, a lot of vitamins, any vitamin. Yeah, but at least your eyesight will be better watching the blinding whiteness of the snow while you're dying. <laughs> there you go. There's an advantage, I guess. Or maybe it's, you know, when they have six months of darkness. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Just eat a bunch of polar bear liver. It'll be fine. Yeah. Might hurt a little bit, but uh, you'll be able to see real good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Polar bear fat. Wasn't there something else? I mean, obviously the fish they were still eating. Yeah, they were. So in Tibet, they were obviously giving yak meat and yak fat. Yeah, right, right. Which, uh, yeah, I mean, it's to help with the fat in the horses and some protein. But yeah, I wanted to go into that with you. Like, mm-hmm. would you ever give your horse meat? No. No, but like okay. <laughs> you definitely you hear of like little stories where I you know the the person's eating a cheeseburger and they offer a bite to their horse and their horse will eat it for the sake of curiosity. Now, I personally have a horse that's really picky and does not like to try a bunch of different foods. I tried giving you know those like Werther's caramel candies. Yeah. I was like, my horse is going to love this. Like I can eat a handful of them at a time. He spat it out for about five minutes. He just like kept trying to spit this Werther's out. The taste, he hated it so much. Um, people will give their horses Timbits and my horse can't stand the texture. Timbits like from Tim Hortons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess I should specify that for people who don't know what Timbits for are. For people from America. Yeah, like little donuts. And like some horses will be like, oh, I'm going to eat a whole box of those, but no. They're essentially donut holes, you know, the, the yeah. glob of dough that is just yeah pulled out of a donut. Yeah, not a full donut, but out of those round tire donuts. I love those <laughs> things, man. I miss Tim Hortons. You know what I loved in Tim Hortons? And th- this has become like just two Canadians talking about Canadian <laughs> nostalgia. I miss their chili. Their ch- I've never had their chili. <laughs> <laughs> What a random thing to miss. <laughs> and this this is so funny because chili is, you know, uh, popular in Texas and it's yeah. a southern food, but we're talking about Canadian chili. Yeah, I had chili last weekend. It was delicious. Yeah, I've never had their chili. I really like their Boston cream donuts. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite one. Or the Canadian uh, maple dip ones. Yeah, that's something that Americans can't try. <laughs> No, that's true. Yeah, that's only for us suckers. There's that potato chip that exists only in Canada, but not in the U.S. The ketchup flavored ones. Yeah, the ketchup. Oh, man, I love that. (laughs) I didn't like them before, but once in a while, oh, yeah, I just want the ketchup ones. But they're just so sweet. Is there still that brand called No Name? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, fun fact. No Name makes the best like white powdered donuts. I remember that like they produce everything and it's only in Canada. And like you think in America, that tells a lot about, you know, the difference in marketing in America and Canada. So Americans would think of some catchy name, marketing purposes, blah, 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 promotion. Mm -hmm. But these guys just named their company No Name. Name. And have have you ever seen No Name commercials? No. They're so funny. Please look them up. They're, they, it's exactly like the name. They just do a commercial. They're like, this is the product. Okay, cool. Thanks, guys. Wow. Buy it if that's, you the want. Most, that's the most honest thing. I love that. That's I want to buy their stuff when you're just like, no pressure. You can buy it or not. Here it is. I'm like, I will definitely buy that. I don't like being pressured. Yeah, it's great. 
<laughs> For the most part, anyways, we're nice, honest people. We have our jerks too. Yeah, like yeah. Picton. <laughs> yeah, like that guy. Let's, yeah. <laughs> Let's forget about Robert Picton. Or um, <laughs> when we're talking about uh, cannibalism, Vince Lee. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, people will hate on me because it will be like mental illness and he was mentally ill and he is now better. Just disregard that he beheaded a guy and ate him. Yeah, just he was sick. Okay, as long as he's on his medication, he'll be good. But like, you still got to keep an eye on that person. <laughs> I was trying to remember if he was actually held uh, at the facility near me. I think he was wasn't he a resident of manitoba or alberta maybe the crime happened there in a greyhound bus yeah i don't remember where he was held i know there was one like person that was held at the facility near me you know who is a famous killer from mississauga ontario and that's very nearby near you i mean Mm, yes it is uh no who is it carla homolka all right her oh man oh carla oh carla she's now living free in quebec yeah they just put out that documentary about the both of them and have you ever uh, saw the documentary dear zachary no but i've heard of it okay i don't know the name but there was this crazy lady who essentially killed her husband and was pregnant at the time so she gave birth mm-hmm. the canadian government gave her custody of the child even though yeah. she's a murderer that's crazy and she ended up killing herself and the child yep yeah i remember hearing about that story i haven't seen the movie but yeah crazy and listeners like trigger warning uh, we're talking about true crime <laughs> Tri- <laughs> trigger warning after the fact <laughs> so forget about cannibalistic horses and jerk horses here are the real monsters of the world yeah <laughs> Uh, the horses, you can say the horses are opportunistically, you know, meat eaters only if they don't have anything else to eat. And we have yeah, essentially created the environment where that is now made possible because we have bred these horses into enormous numbers. And now that we have no use of them, we just put them out in the wild to fend mm-hmm. for themselves. Yeah. And these are domesticated animals which do not have those instincts of wild animals. No, they, they get survive. out there in the wild and they're like, who? What am I to do here? <laughs> but um, another trigger warning, guys, like we're going to go now into something briefly. If you are disturbed by bestiality, <laughs> <laughs> then I suggest you stay tuned because it is good to sometimes be pushed out of your uh, safe space. Yeah. This is a true reason that we postponed this three weeks. <laughs> Had to mentally prepare ourselves for this topic. So, I I don't know if any of my listeners know of who Mr. Hands was. <laughs> but we're talking about murderous horses, and this is somehow tied to that. Mm-hmm. Somehow. Yeah. So, Mr. <laughs> Hands was the online persona of this guy, Kenneth Pinion, who was a resident of uh, Washington State, very close to Canada. And uh, he died in 2005 while filming a stallion... Mm, penetrating him anally i was looking for the nice words yeah there is no nice word for this story really yeah like the dude the dude has been having sex with stallions but being the receiver of the sex Uh, for years and he was posting his videos online as mr hands a lot of people know of this because the videos were used as you know shock sites and this day in 2005 the stallion ruptured his colon 
and uh, the guy, you know, was in shock but didn't want to go to the hospital because he was an employee of Boeing. He was an engineer. And he thought, I mean, like, if people saw this and if it came out, like, he'd lose his job. I mean, it doesn't even matter what job you're doing. <laughs> You oh, could man. have like, you'd be a grocery clerk. And if somebody finds that out, it's like, you should not be here. <laughs> you should leave. Yeah. So oh. what essentially happened, his uh, buddy who was with him helping with the filming of the scene, if I have to put it like that, <sighs> he drove yeah. him to the hospital anonymously, just left him there in shock, um, unconscious and went away. And the doctors could not save this guy because he uh, got no. acute peritonitis. He mm -hmm. got an infection because his colon was ruptured internally mm -hmm. and he died. And this uh, led to an investigation by the police and by the press who uncovered this whole ring of mm -hmm. horse fuckers. In, in this uh, small <laughs> village in Washington state. I like the way you put that. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those horse fuckers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those fucking horse fuckers. Oh, anyways, press on. Anyways, yeah, they, they essentially found out about this horse sex ring and brought it down. And they needed to implement a law that made bestiality illegal in Washington state. So crazy. It's crazy that you have to have a law against that. Like, you should really just not do this, guys. But would that save people? Like, the law was put in place because this guy died. But yeah. the, these people continue doing whatever they want. So a lot of individuals who were in this ring just moved away into a different state. I think somewhere in the south and on the east coast. Right, that's totally fine. <laughs> they, they bought farms where they bred these oh horses for, for the same purposes over there. I wonder, like, what they aimed to breed for. Like, what the what were the characteristics that they were looking well, for? Well, the horse that killed Kenneth Pinion was named Big Dick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the sad thing is that this horse, the stallion, was trained to do that. And uh, he was not only visited by Kenneth Pinion, he was visited by a lot of men. Uh, the stallion was specifically trained to oh have sex with men that's gross yeah <laughs> i didn't know that part <laughs> but wh why i like this story is because the uh, animal abuser uh, gets what he deserves yeah <laughs> the tables turn <laughs> i mean a man died but guys like we have stuff like the darwin awards where we make fun of Ex people who die in very silly ways exactly like you just you had it coming to you man that was never a good idea that's gross do you and know dangerous. that they actually made a documentary called Zoo. I think it was in yeah. 2007. Yeah, I didn't and watch it. it was about him. I, I started yeah. watching it. I couldn't because it is filth. Yeah. The, they're talking about this, like, the guy had an emotional relationship with the horse. Yeah, well. And it's like a love story. Yeah. And it was made by people who are into that shit. It's unfortunate. Wasn't there a Broadway show about that, too? I don't know. So... Oh. We have been recording for almost two hours now. I know. And I did not even ask you what your horse's name was. His name is Pippin. His name is Pippin, but uh, when I need to be serious with him, his name is Peregrine. I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. And uh, <laughs> I just, I was watching one of the movies one day and I was like, oh, that's what I'm going to name my horse. <laughs> so he's Pippin. The name fits really well. He likes snacking. 
and eating. That's his uh, favorite part of his life. I saw your Instagram post where you were filming yourself and saying like, you know, those videos of uh, horses carrying their uh, trainers to the ends of the earth and everything. Oh, yeah. Chill Pippin and like, (laughs) he's just eating grass there. Yeah, like he's pretty good. He'll follow me. But, you know, grass is more important than following me. And that's totally fine. We have a nice balance of the two. I just I I believe in like, you know, you need to put your foot down with horses so they don't push you around because it can get super dangerous around horses. But at the same time, you know, I just want to care for him, make sure he's happy. And if that's stopping 15 times while we're going out in a walk, that's totally fine. (laughs) Whenever I bought him, he was just like not in the greatest of shape. He was really thin and he had uh, some dermatitis going on on his legs. His back had rain rot, which is like little little scabs. So all I wanted to do is really those scabs that occur because of moisture or yeah, yeah, exactly. It's moisture, so it doesn't always hurt them, but it's still not great for them. So I basically just decided I'm going to take care of this horse, and then we had our problems with uh, he was being a little bit quote-unquote naughty and found out he had a little bit of issues with his back so mm-hmm. now he's just uh living life being happy eating a lot of hay and grass you know we'll go for walks we'll do minimal riding and i just make sure that he's happy he gets treatments medical treatments that i don't get beamer chiropractor <laughs> So essentially, you own a horse not to use it for sport and not to use it as a tool, but rather to uh, take care of it. Pretty much, yeah. I made a promise to him that I was going to take care of him until he died, and that's kept me going for the last couple of years. So so how, how old is he? He is 15 years old now. And how old do usually horses get? So I've known horses in like their very late 20s. I know one horse that's 26 right now. They can go to 30. Usually by 30, they're they're pretty much done. Some of them can get older, but 30, 35 is pretty much max age for them. Yeah. I know, like, if they have any leg injuries, like, they're usually put down because... Not all the time. So I've met, uh, like, splint, bone splints happen all the time, and usually you just take the little splint out, and with some good care, they'll be fine. I've seen horses get fractures to their legs, and they've been fine with just being on stall rest and being taken care of some surgery, and they end up being fine. Now, Mm -hmm. fine maybe doesn't mean they're going to be able to do the things that you wanted to do. They might not be able to jump them that much, or maybe they're just going to be a pasture ornament for the rest of their lives. But an injury to the leg doesn't necessarily mean end of their life, unless it's like really broken. I've walked into a field where there was a horse basically standing on three legs. So in that case, you can't do anything about that. Yeah, but it's funny for such uh, muscly animals, they got twiggy legs. And it's also important that you mentioned that because constantly we keep treating these horses as tools. Like if Mm -hmm. it has a leg injury, I have no use of it further and I need to kill it. Like that's so fucked up. Yeah, like, yeah, like nowadays or the people I know, it's not to say that that doesn't happen anymore, but for most people, they have such an emotional attachment to their horses. Now they just want the well-being for their horses that they'll drop thousands of dollars just to get their horses fixed up and moving again. And even if it needs to just sit in a field and be pretty, then, you know, they just love on their horse and that's it. Yeah, they they retire just like humans. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, essentially. Even if they retire because of an injury, like they can be used for breeding. Yeah, yeah. If they had like a good lineage, at least if, um, you know, they get kicked in the leg, it's not their fault, but they have really good lineage, then yeah, they can be kept for breeding. Depends on the injury really and how how the pregnancy is going to affect it. But yeah, that's one use if that's what you want to do, or you just have a horse that sits in a field and is pretty. So this is something I should have asked you at the very start, but let's <laughs> let's end on this note. So yeah. 
what even got you interested in horses? Like before you started like going into the hobby. Hmm. Why horses? Why not music or something else? Oh, I tried so many different things, but horses just got me. I don't know. It's just the, uh, it's a challenge, right? So many people are scared of horses. Like these things can kill you and it's a very dangerous sport. But like I said earlier, my danger meter is not very good. And there's something really exciting about developing a bond with this animal that can take you down any second. So it comes down to this childhood um, idea you had of the unicorn. And this fascination <laughs> with the unicorn being, you I know, guess a, maybe a monstrous beast that can kill you at any moment. Yeah, but they're just like, they're so sweet when you really get to know them, but still challenging. And I don't know, I, it's not really a specific reason. Like I wasn't into horses growing up. Like I was obsessed with wolves when I was younger. My sister actually took horseback riding lessons before me. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it kind of just like popped in my head. Like these are really cool animals and you can do things. And I really like show jumping. So that was a big thing for me. Like, oh yeah, I want to learn how to do that. And, you know, master this cool bond with this creature. There's a sense of danger. I really like to it, <laughs> but this sereneness of being around these animals. Yeah, and it's also like you have an extension of yourself, like back, full circle back to this idea of a centaur, the idea of a human being suspended away from gravity. Your legs are off the ground. And something else is moving for you. Yeah, and you have to like be one with them and be suspended in their center of gravity in order to make things work. So this, there's this connection and this balance that you get from like your body and then the connection to the horse's body. It's really interesting. Like there's so much more to, you know, horses in general, but riding than people think. You know, you hear oftentimes like, oh, you're just sitting there. But no, we have like a very specific thing that we need to do with our bodies in order oh, to connect yeah, with the like horse properly. Your, your body motions sync up. Exactly. Yeah. You yeah. need to do that in order to get the horse to move its body properly and carry you. You just sit like a sack of potatoes on your horse, like you're going to have a really grumpy horse. <laughs> so it's like that biomechanical challenge of riding a horse properly that's been really interesting. And that's something that like lately we're, we're constantly learning when it comes to horses, but I've really focused in on the biomechanics of riding. And that's been super interesting. So it's just like a mental challenge. It's like an emotional challenge with horses. It's, it's, it's very interesting because people would always think like, how would I train myself to do that properly? And how would I feel? Mm-hmm. But as you say, like how you are moving affects your horse as well. 100%. Yeah. It's like I was hearing somebody talking about riding a motorcycle and how you need to look in a certain direction. As long as you look, then your body follows and you're going to be able to move your motorcycle in that direction. And it works the same way with a horse. You need to be super well balanced. You need to be looking where you're going. You need to move your body in certain ways to convey the message to the horse that, hey, this is what I'm asking of you. May you follow this. (laughs) And as long as you can balance yourself properly with that horse, then they should feel that connection and move with you. Yeah, and I imagine it is not, it is a much greater challenge than, say, riding a motorcycle because you got the brain. (laughs) The motorcycle, yeah, the motorcycle will 100% of the time listen to you. Yep. But you are essentially manipulating something that is another living being and it has its own personality and its own psychological and emotional life as well. Yeah. You need to sync up on many different levels. Yeah, on an emotional, because sometimes, you know, you could have a great horse and 
and one day they're just having a shitty day and nothing's going to go right. And you also have to have enough discipline to have the patience and not take it out on the horse and just go, you know what? This isn't working. That's kind of the the other beauty of riding horses. It's like you can't get angry at that. You have to have empathy for the animal and go like, you know what? This isn't working out with me, but I can't take it out on the horse. So you develop a lot of patience and understanding working with animals, especially horses. But animals in general, like I've always really liked animals. I like just any animal behavior science. I'm kind of awkward and I've never been a super huge social butterfly. So I've focused- Yeah, and we, we've been talking for two hours. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, this is an exception. <laughs> We're talking about horses. I told you I can talk about this for a while. But uh, yeah, like growing up, I didn't really go to parties. It was just like, I want to be at the barn all the time and be with the horses. And just sometimes I'll just go stand in the field and pet horses. And that makes me happy. You know what makes me happy? It makes me happy that we came to this conclusion at the very end of the episodes because people now need to sift through, you know, murderous horses and cannibalism and bestiality and serial killers. To get to this point and hear this this magnificent thing that you shared. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, it's, we, you know, with the, the man-eating horses, like I said, I think it's more opportunistic. I don't think they, we, we have this discussion in equine behavior that horses don't mean to be mean. It's like, usually there's a reason and it's a very logical reason why they're like that. That's why it's crazy to me that that mule like to just like hunt mountain lions and eat them up. Like, that's crazy to me. You always have that deviation, but, you know, usually there's... There's a reason why a horse is acting negatively and you have to be empathetic to figure it out. Sometimes they're in pain. Sometimes they're just having a bad day. But yeah. Yeah, but a mule, a mule Except is... for mules. Never trust the mules. <laughs> what you can say, a mule is a Darwin's deviation <laughs> because it is an unnatural hybrid. Absolutely. It, cannot, it should not it, exist. It could not have mule babies. Absolutely not. You know what? I have this beautiful quote from a friend that described horses in the most hilarious way. And I'm Mm -hmm. just going to read it. He says, yeah, big animal, small brain, scare easily, cannon-like legs with stone-like feet and metal shoes. Also, they can run as fast as most Russian commuter vehicles, but can also jump and turn on a dime. Nightmare sauce. And I really like that (laughs) description of horses because that's the scary part of them. They are these massive creatures that if they get scared and, you know, you don't handle them properly, then they can be really dangerous. But when you really take the time to get to know horses, they're really magical creatures for real. (laughs) It's really satisfying. I still can't get over this. So, you know, feminism and um, how how women were treated during history because they Mm -hmm. were bound in this invisible cage of patriarchy where it was uh, assumed that women were powerless. Mm-hmm. And women just forgot how much power they have and what yeah. they are capable of. It's the same with horses because we breed them in these artificial environments and they yep. spend their lives in this environment. They are not aware of mm-hmm. how much they can do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe it's time we liberate the horses. <laughs> oh, God, they'll be like the wild horses. <laughs> it will be the w- wild cannibalistic all horses. They're going to turn like asshole zebras, which are the true assholes of the equine world. They're crazy. Zebras are crazy mean, but because they're just so overprotective, right? They're so territorial. You know what's funny with animal uh, rights activists? Like they'd say, yeah, we should do that. We should liberate the horses. But the horse now is a domestic animal. You put (laughs) it out there, it's going to fucking die. 
My horse is going to be like, what the hell is going on? Please, yeah. I miss my head pats and my beamer treatments and my shockwave therapy and my beautiful grain that I get every time. Like what the dentist comes and sees me every year. What's happening now? <laughs> it's like if you send a prince into battle. <laughs> yeah. They're like, ew. <laughs> What am I doing here? Like even, okay, I have this one, the only time I've ever fallen off my horse, we um, we just slipped. It was a little bit slippery on the grass and I ended up losing my balance and I fell. And my horse didn't go off riding into the field. He ran straight back home and just waited for me at the barn. I was like, this is my home. This is where I belong. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't do well if you just release animals into the wild that are actually domesticated. It actually knows uh, the good life now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like you being offered to be somewhere in the middle of nowhere with no electricity and wi-fi and you're like yeah, I'm like, yeah this, no <laughs> yeah i can do this for like a day or two but i'm not used to this yeah no they just get used to home and their routine and that's what they like yeah 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 so for the end if you want can you share your socials yeah i mean i don't have a podcast or anything but uh, if you want to <laughs> see cute pictures of pippin uh He's my sassafras is my Instagram. I'll share that in the episode description. Well, Wonderful. thank you for having this discussion with me. Like it was so weird. It was so <laughs> awkward. Good luck editing. <laughs> the reason this is so awkward is because I am completely out of my comfort zone. Like I never yeah. talked about horses. I was never interested beyond the evolution parts, obviously, mm -hmm. because I'm into biology. Mm -hmm. And reading this book, like this is the first time for an episode that I read a whole book. <laughs> wow. Especially a book full of information like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good thing it was a short book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, yeah, that was, this was fun for sure. Cool tangents all over the place. Fun discussion. Easy going. Oh, I yeah, like that. I'll, I'll have to find a way to make you a podcaster. I'm going to find some other <laughs> topics we can talk about. <laughs> Just weird podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Next time Cat appears, it will be about Pegasus. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, and, and the idea of the biomechanics of riding a flying horse. Oh, wow. Yeah, that'd be crazy. Yeah. Place your legs all weird because there's wings there. Yeah. <laughs> also, if ever you want to talk about Kelpie horse, that's the coolest cryptid there oh, is. I Man. wanted to talk about the Kelpie, but we forgot. And I'm not talking about it now. <laughs> it can be its own episode. It's over. We can do a mini episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways. All right, man. Well, that was fun. Thank you for having me on and good luck editing all that. <laughs> oh, man. This will be hell. It's going to be a lot. <laughs> It'll come out in a month. <laughs> Okay, guys, as always, now on to the plugs. So you already know about Christina's Celestial Alien Oracle Deck project, which is launching on Kickstarter on the 1st of May. Well, that is exactly this upcoming Sunday. So just go into my episode description. There will be a link to Christina's Instagram. There will also be a link to the Kickstarter. Go support her. She is very passionate about this project. Go see what rewards are awaiting you. And onto the books. So obviously, I am not sponsored. This author does not know that I used their book for research and made a whole episode based on it. Not a sponsorship, not a collaboration, just me doing research by myself. 
As we stated, Katrina and I used this single book as the main source of most of our research for this episode, and the book is titled Deadly Equines, The Shocking True Story of Meat-Eating and Murderous Horses by Cuchulain O'Reilly. And if we did not promote the book very well in this episode because we were kind of critical of its editing, I will just read a short account that we forgot to mention because it is very, very um you'll see so this is directly from the book in 2009 an indonesian man had his testicle bitten off by a cart horse the 35 year old was unloading sand from a horse-drawn cart at a construction site in indonesia when the attack occurred a witness said the animal suddenly lunged at the man in sulawesi sinking its teeth into him as bystanders put the man in a car to take him to a hospital one noticed a piece of flesh on the pavement luckily the horse did not chew up or swallow his testicle but spit it onto the pavement a witness said it was not known whether doctors attempted to sew it back on and the owner explained that the horse called Budi was trained but sometimes turned wild and had bitten in the past so yeah if testicle biting horses don't draw you to this book then i don't know what will just go (laughs) find the book read it it is amazing it is so miraculous how people can do deep dives into these very specific very obscure subjects and write a whole book on them this book was amazing work even though it is full of details that just go over your head and as i don't see it fair to plug other books for this episode let me plug two podcasts and this is related to the horse fucker kenneth pinion because he is not mentioned in this book this book's author is willing to write about horses eating people's testicles and faces off but bestiality is where he draws the line but uh, somebody else does not draw the line there and that would be the podcast titled where is the line their episode mr hands bestiality fatality is the most comprehensive research done on this case like if you are interested in the case but also its ramifications on this uh, community and what happens to the people who are in this horse sex ring then go listen to that episode the link will be in my description but if you want something more silly and if you were not offended enough by my own episodes and want to be pissed off even more then there is this other podcast that i am a fan of called the brothers commonplace they are a comedy podcast and they talk about very fucked up true crime cases and make jokes that will piss off a lot of people their episode kenneth pinion aka mr hands is a must listen it is the episode that actually made me discover their podcast like a year ago so both podcast episodes will be linked in my episode description and for the end katrina thank you very much for being willing to guest on this you know episode you're such a cool badass And listeners, while editing this podcast these past few days, Katrina contacted me and told me that she had so much fun that she wants to appear on the podcast again. Maybe even talk about extinct animals, but also we forgot to go into her own paranormal experiences. So yeah, we will probably have her on the show again. Guys, just please reach out to me or to her with with any reception you have if you think that would be such a cool idea. Like, I am very hyped to have her on the show again. And to end this off, 
We cryptid fans sometimes forget just how fucked up nature is and like to form this bubble around ourselves where we are surrounded by these cutesy cryptid monsters or sometimes they are very very scary but they never touch us and they never do anything to us. So we can maybe forget just how we are surrounded by mother nature which can swallow us at any given moment. But Mother Nature Gaia, as I already expressed many times, is just adapting to our own influence. So who is the real monster here? Is it nature or is it ourselves? Ooh.